text for the sermon this morning is taken from the gospel. It's the story of, of the uh, man who was deaf and had an impediment of speech. Straightway his ears were open and the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The gospel for today comes at the very end of chapter 7 of Mark. Uh, and uh, chapter uh, Mark 7 and chapter 15 of uh, Matthew have... Uh, many parallels. And in fact, uh, only a few months back, Lent 2, we had a portion of Matthew 15 given for the Sunday Gospel. It was the occasion when a Greek woman came to Jesus seeking that uh, uh, he would free her daughter from demon possession. You probably recall uh, that his first response was uh, less than encouraging when he said it isn't right to take food of the children and throw them to dogs. That would have really put me off. Uh, anyway, it didn't hurt. Uh, she was not dissuaded, and her faith in Christ, power over darkness prevailed, and her daughter was set free. Same event is recorded in uh, Matthew 7. So let's be going, begin this morning by placing uh, today's gospel in context. Uh, the, the healing of this man, the man who was both deaf and had a speech impediment, is the very last account. Uh, in uh, chapter 7. Uh, the chapter opens with the arrival from Jerusalem of an official delegation of Pharisees and scribes who had come to make an assessment of Jesus' ministry uh, in this movement. And uh, after they joined up with uh, local scribes and uh, Pharisees, they confront Jesus with the fact that his disciples were not performing proper ablutions for purification prior to eating uh, a meal. Uh, good Jews, uh, uh, ubiquitously uh, at that time, were expected to wash with a handful of water before and after uh, eating uh, a meal. Now, you may remember that Jesus, and this is prior to this event, had already turned the water into wine uh, at the wedding feast, uh, and, he, and the water that he turned into wine was the water set aside for ritual ver uh, purification, uh, uh, therefore, he made, in fact, he made ritual pur uh, purification impossible uh, at that event. Unless you want to wash your hands with water and uh, with wine, and, and you don't do that. That's uh, uh, not possible either. Afterward, his, his disciples uh, took up, uh, seemed to have taken that up as a mark of discipleship, uh, not to perform these rituals. Uh, so the Pharisees have come, they found something they don't like, and they want to pick a fight, and, and they're about to get one. So G they complained to Jesus that his disciples were not being holy, and Jesus replied that they, the Pharisees, didn't know anything about holiness in the first place. I'm paraphrasing, uh, but, but I think fairly true, very true to what he's saying. They knew nothing about holiness, and he said, you're all hypocrites, and your so-called worship is worthless, which is fighting words, I think, to say your worship is worthless. One gets the impression then from the text, look at it, uh, that he just, he turns around and he walks away. He peer, uh, seems to be finished with the Pharisees. He called his followers together to teach them what the argument was all about. And uh, uh, at this point things change in really a sweeping and deep way that's frequently, uh, I think, overlooked. Uh, in Mark. We don't cite this as much as we should. Uh, 
So Jesus says to them, he makes this statement, there's nothing outside of man which by going into him can defile him. But the thing which comes out of a man, that is what defiles him. There's nothing outside a man by which going into him can defile him. This is Jesus' statement. As Mark saw, this was a sea change. It was a reversal that no Jew could have imagined. Uh, so let me explain what I mean. Uh, scholars always have different opinions on this. Some say that this washing issue was not an argument over the law, but over the traditions and over the midrashes and commentaries of the law. Others say that the Pharisees were applying the specific requirements of a priest to the Jewish laity, which is in some, I mean, somewhat true, but it was still a ubiquitous practice and expected uh, to be the case. Uh, it was part of the priest's preparation in making blood sacrifice to perform these ablutions. Uh, there are other explanations, which seem all to me uh, uh, attempts to clean up and disinfect uh, what Jesus says and does, which is pretty uh, offensive and, and radical uh, to Jews anyway. Uh, but none of that matters. Uh, once Jesus explains to his people what was at the bottom of all this, all ambiguity vanishes. There is nothing outside a man which by going into him can defile him, but that which comes out of the man that is what defiles him. Uh, so what's so scandalous about that? Well, Mark declares the upshot of that pronouncement right after he gives it in verse 19 when he says, thus he, Jesus, declares all foods clean. That's Mark's statement. He declares all foods clean. Something St. Paul picked up on that uh, and, and absolutely uh, suffers for it throughout his ministry. Uh, you're aware of that. Uh, from his uh, from his text, uh, this is what I want you to understand. Jesus did not claim to clear up Israel's muddled thinking on the law. Uh, it was not uh, that, that all this time they had misunderstood Moses. He was not saying that there was an inner meaning to the law of Moses that they had missed. That's not what it is. This is what he did at that moment in that place. Jesus actually changed the law by this pronouncement. He changed it. There's nothing outside a man which by going into him can defile him. Now all foods are clean. Uh, so what's so outrageous about that? Uh, the food laws in Leviticus were central to the whole concept of purity and holiness for Jewish culture and Jewish identity. Still is, or they still are, uh, along with circumcision uh, and keeping the Sabbath, the dietary laws were uh, and are a public mark of Jewish holiness. They were peculiar people, uh, set apart for God and made holy, and the dietary laws were an outward and visible sign of that holiness. Among other things, uh, the dietary laws also made it impossible for a Jew uh, to share in meals prepared by non-Jews or to enter into uh, Gentile homes uh, and uh, eat a meal, for example. So these dietary laws uh, form a wall that divided the Jew from the rest of the world. As you can see throughout the books of Acts, it took the church a long time 
uh, in the Church of Jerusalem, it took a long time for them, it seems, to even accept uh, Jesus' teaching uh, on this matter. Uh, and so what I'm saying is that uh, at this moment when Jesus uh, himself eliminated uh, that wall that stood between uh, the Jews and the Greeks, it still took a long time for it to sink in. St. Paul certainly grasped it, and he preached it, and he based his ministry and his missionary work on, on just that law. But we see this. Now we're going to see this develop more. Thus he declares all foods clean. Should be no surprise then that right after that, because <clears throat> we're in Jewish territory, right? Because uh, this is where the uh, delegation from Jerusalem has come. Now he leaves uh, uh, after this pronouncement and he goes into the region of Tyre and Sidon. Gentile cities, Gentile domain. When he arrived, he enters the home of a resident, a Gentile mother approaches him, uh, uh, begging for the healing of her child, the one that's paralleled in Matthew. And uh, so, I mean, what's a Jewish Messiah doing in a Gentile home anyway? Uh, that's a little uh, weird. Uh, nevertheless, he frees the woman's child from the demon and then he picks up and they move on again. And yet, they circle back. Look at that text. They leave and then they circle back around to the Decapolis. Uh, and it's there in another domain of Gentiles that the deaf man is brought to him for healing. I don't know whether this deaf man is a Jew or a Gentile. You can't tell from the text. But he's certainly living and he has a lot of friends in Gentile territory. So I think it's reasonable to assume that he's a Gentile they bring him uh, to Jesus for healing. And so there you have it. That's the context uh, of, uh, of that chapter. They bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech and they beseech him to put his hands upon him. According to the text, Jesus healed the man uh, and he could heal uh, here uh, for the first time in his life and he could speak clearly. Uh, straightway his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. The people's response, uh, this crowd that had gathered around uh, to the healing, was overwhelming. They were astonished beyond measure, uh, to quote Mark, uh, according to the text. Uh, the miracle filled them with wonder and awe, and they respond. They almost respond like a chorus uh, in a Greek tragedy or Greek uh, comedy. They, they, in, 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 with one voice, they seem to say, uh, Mark says, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Now, Mark is making an allusion there, and this brings us to a third reality of this text. I'll go back and summarize this in a minute. Uh, and, and this is what overwhelms the apostles and, and Mark, the allusion to Isaiah 35 uh, which is this, behold your God will come with a vengeance, he, your God, will come and save you, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the tongue of the dumb sing for joy. So with that connection, Mark declares that this uh, uh, miracle, that it, it, this is a miracle, the type of which the Old Testament uh, 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 clearly states that only God can perform and God, God himself will perform. So we have three big events in Mark 7 that I want you to take note of. The first is uh, that Jesus' uh, uh, declaration uh, of 
of, um, uh, of null and, uh, nullity and void to a portion of the Mosaic law uh, when he declared all foods to be clean, which is amazing. Uh, people say that St. Paul made this religion up himself. They, they haven't paid much very close attention to the gospel. St. Paul didn't make any. St. Paul got his teachings from Jesus, and this is an example of it right here. Maybe he just read better uh, than the others. The second point uh, is uh, that Jesus uh, enlarged the horizon of the Messiah's ministry to include all those non-Jews who had been excluded on the basis of the dietary law. So we have the elimination of dietary law, and then we have him acting out on that by going into the Gentile territory. Thirdly, he wraps it, Mark wraps all of this up, uh, uh, or Jesus wraps this up, by performing a miracle that identifies him not only as the Messiah, but as God Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in Genesis, we have the narrative of man made in the image of God, while in Jesus we have the narrative of God made in the image of man. In both cases, but especially in the incarnation, we have the glory of God Almighty in dwelling flesh, human flesh, materiality. And with the incarnation, we see not only the uncreated glory of the only begotten Son, but we also see the created glory of creature man, perfected and yet not changed, not not destroyed, perfected and yet still fully human. I submit to you that the salvation, the uplifting of man, the bestowal of this glory upon his creature is the purpose of the incarnation. And in the gospel for today, we have an apostolic memory. We have an apostolic uh, memory uh, of uh, Jesus the Messiah breaking down boundaries, eliminating portions of the law that build up those boundaries, and performing miracles that only God himself can perform. Now this reminded me of something uh, in my own life, so you can get a little story. I don't remember this kid's name, but I remember him to this day, and this was back when I was in high school, which was shortly after the Nina that Penta and the Santa Maria landed on this shore. <laughs> well, we're not sure about that, but I think it was around that time. Uh, this boy's family had moved to our little town uh, when uh, he, he was entering high school. His father had moved his family, I don't n remember where, the Midwest, the Far West, the North. Uh, it just was not anywhere that we really knew and understood but from another part of, of the country, to find a better life for his son, the son he loved. But this boy, had a, he had a very hard time uh, with, with all of the other kids. I, I, and you can imagine why. I can see him in my, in my mind's eye. He, I mean, he, he, he dressed differently. He, he, he looked different. And, uh, he was clumsy beyond belief. Uh, this kid wore a slide ruler on his belt. Some of you know what a slide, some of us know what a slide ruler are. Very few. Slide rulers. He wore a slide ruler on his belt. He accessorized his clothing with a slide ruler. I mean, come on, what kind of person does that? Not one that gets along with his peers, I can tell you. Um, 
But what I remember most about him was that he couldn't speak in class without literally spitting all over himself. He was the worst stutter I've ever seen in my life. Uh, sometimes he became so frustrated, uh, he would turn red, and he couldn't get it out, and, and he couldn't hide it from the rest of us. And we were, we were not nice uh, to people who were different at that age, not generally speaking. Uh, he would tear up in defeat. Uh, and I said that the story was what I remember most, but that's not exactly correct. What I recall most is the last assembly of that year. He was in the choir, which was kind of, are you kidding? He was in the choir, and at the end of a presentation, he stepped forward out of everyone, and the spotlight was on him. True story. Uh, and, uh, you know, we just, I mean, the class, we looked at this and we thought, oh man, he's going to sing a solo. This is a train wreck uh, coming down the mountain. But then he opened his mouth. He opened his mouth and we heard the sweetest sound come out of his mouth I think we'd ever heard. Maybe because of our expectation. He was like an angel singing. I have no idea what he was singing. I don't remember, and, and it wouldn't have made much difference to me at that point anyway. It doesn't matter. What matters is that he stepped up and he filled his lungs full of human high school auditorium air, and he transformed that air, that matter, into one of the most beautiful sounds we'd ever heard in our life without stuttering a bit like silk. We sat there, a lot of us with tears in our eyes, mesmerized by the beauty of his voice. I don't remember the kid's name. I remember his father and how much he loved him. I remember the boy's anguish and I remember the unexpected beauty he brought into our lives that day. live in a needful world and the needs of this world the needs of our lives the needs of our family and the needs of our uh, friends lives the needs of the poorest of the poor the sickest of the sick those most desperate all of that this need all of these needs are greater listen to what I'm saying they're greater than the sum of all our good deeds all our good intentions and all our politics Evil is not just the nasty little things we do to one another. Evil is organized, massive, weighty, subtle, and cosmic. But Jesus has overcome the world. And Jesus has overcome evil. And we have been grafted into Jesus through holy baptism. And because of that, we have become part of his struggle which is a cosmic struggle. By coming to church this morning, by worshiping a God who allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, you are committing acts of subversion against this mean culture of hatred, power, and death. By your actions, 
you declare that your relationship with Jesus is not merely personal and it certainly isn't private. Jesus taught us to address his Father as our Father. The God, the blessed Trinity, is the God who rules over all of creation and history, the whole cosmos. And he has entered into his broken creation as a creature with your vulnerability my, and my vulnerabilities. By becoming a man, God Almighty has made it possible for man to truly bear the image and likeness of God. In the gospel for today, we have the narrative of God's love for his creature man that is not circumscribed by an antique Jewish horizon. Uh, Jesus took the broken man and he healed him. And God healed his loosened, uh, he, God himself, God Almighty himself loosened his stammering tongue. And once untied, that man began singing with joy like all of the other saints of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.